Welcome to Warner Pacific Insights. Today we're sharing insights on long-term and short-term disability. I'm Shannon Carboni, sales consultant with Warner Pacific, and joining me today is our ancillary sales specialist, Robin Epley, providing insights onto all sorts of information on short and long-term disability. So Robin, why should we sell long-term disability? That's a great question, Shannon. You know, truthfully here, in America, we are very, very likely to insure our health. We insure our cars or our house. Some of us even insure our cell phones. Uh, but one of the largest financial assets that we have in our life that we don't consistently insure is our income. And truthfully, for most working Americans, we don't have a trust fund or a financial account that constitutes a large financial asset. For most of us, our largest financial asset is actually our capacity to bring in an income to help cover the expenses of our lives for both ourselves as well as our family. And the purpose behind long-term disability is to ensure that capacity to bring home a paycheck in the event of a disability. And to that degree, it's imperative that we sell a lot of long-term disability because too many Americans in our country are underinsured in this particular way. Yeah, if we lose the ability to earn money due to disability, how do people pay for things? They, they can't. In fact, CareerBuilder did a survey back in 2017. And when they did, they found that at that time, 78% of Americans reported living paycheck to paycheck. And of that population that responded, only 32% stuck to a defined budget and more than 56% were saving less than $100 per month. When you take that kind of financial reality and look at it, particularly in our context today with all the financial challenges that COVID-19 um, and economic setbacks have put our country, we have a lot of working Americans who don't have a lot of savings, are living paycheck to paycheck, and if they were to experience a disability, it could really put them in a very difficult situation financially for themselves and for their family. So there are government programs out there like California State Disability, Workers' Compensation, and Federal Social Security Disability. But in addition to these programs, do employers really need to provide coverage? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, we are very lucky in some respects that we do have some programs in place already. As you mentioned, California State Disability, Workers' Compensation, or Social Security Disability. Uh, but the truth is a lot of these programs have some limitations that can leave holes and gaps in society's ability to protect people if they become disabled. So while these programs are fantastic, and I'm glad that we have them, they they don't seal all of the holes and they really don't necessarily cover Americans adequately. Uh, for example, if you look at California State Disability, this is a great program. No other state has one as rich as California does. Um, but this benefit only pays up to 52 weeks. So if somebody has a long-term disability, this benefit isn't going to cover them adequately for the long term. It only really covers them for up to one year. The other limitation is that it only insures up to about $100,000, which doesn't sound bad. Uh, it, that's actually quite good. But when you consider the cost of living here in California and the, the incomes that people do tend to make here, it really doesn't adequately insure everyone's income to the degree that they would need if they were to become disabled. So in that respect, there are some holes within the California State Disability Program that a group LTD program could help close. Similar situation with workers' comp. Uh, disabilityhappens.org actually did a survey and they determined that only 1% of a, the American workers 
on average missed work due to an occupationally related illness or injury. So while workers' compensation is mandated and it can be a very important benefit, when we look at the overall uh, number of disability claims that are out there that are causing people to miss work, workers' compensation uh, related claims aren't a huge number uh, relative to non-workers comp, relative, uh, workers, uh, non-workers comp claims per se. Um, and then lastly, you mentioned social security disability. SSDI is a long-term disability program and it could potentially pay somebody disability income up to social security retirement age. But the problem is, is that the benefit is severely capped, which means it really doesn't adequately ensure middle or high in- income earners the way it does lower income earners. And also it's an incredibly bureaucratic process. So a lot of times the length of time it takes for a claim to get paid and the level of disability that you would have to be experiencing in order to even have a claim that could be approved, it can make it really hard as a solution for many working Americans if they do have a long-term disability. Uh, So in that regard, while these social welfare programs are important and they do play a role, they honestly really don't close the gap when it comes to a lot of working Americans needing something that would pay relatively uh, uh, a high, a relatively well benefit, high benefit, uh, as well as making claims decisions that would put a benefit in place sooner rather than later and be willing to pay for the long term. And in that respect, a group disability plan does a, a better job, if you will, of providing protections for a lot of working Americans today. You mentioned that workers' compensation reflects only a small portion of disability claims. What are the most common disabilities? That's a great question. Um, For the most part, historically, musculoskeletal claims um, have been cited as the number one disability um, in the country. And they still, as of today, represent a large number of the types of claims that will go in. So anything that relates to your joints, your back, anything like that, those tend to be uh, some of the largest numbers of claims that somebody will have that physically keep them from from being able to work, you know, essentially being found disabled. Um, But in addition to those types of claims, we've been starting to see some other types of claims kind of come to the surface. I think because of our sedentary nature of our country, obesity and other conditions that kind of come out of that have been increasing. Uh, one of our disability carriers, Unum, uh, actually did a survey and they determined that for 2018, their number one claim type at 16% was actually cancer claims. Um, so it's other types of conditions are kind of making a rise at this point, and there are quite a few out there that can cause disability, some of the most common being uh, cardiovascular-related disabilities, as well as mental health disabilities, uh, rising number of claims coming out of diabetes, um, and other types of physical injuries that could keep somebody from working. So there's a lot of different uh, types of conditions that can cause a disability and take somebody out of the workforce. What are some of the common plan designs that we typically see with group long-term disability? Great question. So when we are quoting and writing disability, there's a couple of benefit features that we're going to focus on. And if agents are comfortable, they can set these provisions for themselves, but we are here to help um, if need be. One of the first uh, provisions that you're going to have to determine when you're quoting and writing LTD is what we call the elimination period. Uh, The elimination period, sometimes referred to as a waiting period, is the minimum period of time that an insured has to be disabled before the benefits can begin. Um, 
for the most part, when we're talking about long-term disability, which we sell uh, more than we sell short-term disability here in California, the minimum elimination periods are going to typically be either 90 days or 180 days, uh, or if you'd prefer to think of it this way, three months or six months. Uh, so that's the first thing that we need to consider because it will have an impact on rate is how long does somebody have to be disabled before benefits begin. The second area that we're going to look at provisionally is typically going to be what we call the benefit percentage. And what we mean by this is what percent of somebody's monthly income is going to be replaced if they become disabled. The most standard benefit percentage is typically going to be 60%. So it'll be 60% of their pre-disability wage um, that would be payable in the event of a claim. If a company is looking for something a little bit richer, um, one of the other common options is what we call 66 and two thirds. So essentially they, the benefit percentage would be a little bit higher and it gets you to around two thirds of somebody's predisability income uh, as the benefit that would be payable. And then the correlating provision that goes with that is what we call the monthly maximum. So typically most group LTD disability uh, policies are going to have a monthly range that typically ranges from about $5,000 per month as a low monthly maximum, all the way up to about $12,000 per month. Um, how much the monthly maximum is, is really going to depend on the carrier, the size of the group, the salary ranges, and the overall risk that that group represents in terms of their SIC and the employee demographics in terms of age, uh, uh, gender, income earnings, et cetera. Um, but most of the time, our group LTD contracts are going to have a monthly benefit that ranges between $5,000 and $12,000. I will say that we do sometimes, particularly in the large group space or with companies that have significantly high earnings, you can actually have an LTD monthly maximum that can range as high as twenty or thirty thousand dollars per month, uh, but we don't see it very often. It's usually going to be about six thousand to ten thousand dollars per month. What about definition of disability? Should certain highly educated, highly skilled, highly compensated groups have a different definition of disability in their contracts? That's a very good question. And the answer is absolutely yes. So as many of our agents know, who may already be writing LTD, in the group space, the most common definition is what we call a two-year ONOC or a 24-month ONOC, which means that for the first two years that a benefit is payable, the definition will be based on the, in, the own occupation that the member had just before they became disabled. After two years, the definition changes to any gainful occupation that they would be reasonably fitted for based on training, education, and experience. That two-year ONOC is the most common. It is kind of the industry standard. But going to the point that you made, there are a lot of groups out there who have either highly educated or highly specialized, highly experienced uh, people within their organization where based on that education or the time they've been in their role, they don't want them to be subject to an ENEOC definition change. They want them to have a liberal definition of disability that can be based on either their own occupation all the way up to retirement age, if the, if the benefit pays that long, or even something more specific like a specialty definition or a subspecialty definition. Um, and those sorts of really specialized definitions tend to be more for medical practices, legal groups, et cetera. Um, but that 
extended own occupation definition uh, has become more and more popular as groups have become more savvy about LTD and making sure that they have a definition of disability in place that's going to adequately protect their members. And certainly for engineering firms, software firms, uh, accounting firms, uh, other types of uh specialty, a lot of times white collar, but it doesn't have to always be white collar. There has been a growing interest in having something a little bit more liberal than the standard to your own occupation. And that's important for people to know. And I'm glad you asked that question. What about benefit durations? The most common definition that we write nowadays is why they're at two age 65 or what we call SSNRA, which stands for Social Security Normal Retirement Age. Um, I'm a big fan of this plan. Uh, If somebody becomes disabled, you want to have a benefit program that could potentially bridge them to when they're eligible for their Social Security retirement benefits, or if they're, you know, teachers or what have you, maybe their PERS or their STRS. Uh, but you really want to have whenever possible an LTD benefit. I think they could potentially take somebody up to their retirement age. That said, there are times when based on what a group can can, can afford or maybe industry limitations or carrier limitations, uh, you will sometimes see a disability contract that is written to only last two or five years. So there are times when you will see a lesser benefit definition or excuse me, duration, but my preference and the general industry preference tends to be to write an, a long-term disability policy that could potentially pay claims up to that retirement age bridge. Are there other features and considerations brokers should be aware of? Absolutely. So, and we don't always have time, particularly in a podcast like this, but what I would encourage brokers uh, is this. If you have the time and the interest and you want to expand your long-term disability sales, please give us a call because there are other provisions beyond what we've talked about today. Uh, Speaking to your question, uh, some of the considerations you want to think about are pre-existing limitations. They can vary and they can become quite complex. You want to understand how a pre-ex exclusion or limitation could apply to a contract. Uh, Earnings definitions Uh, The default for many policies is like base earnings, whether it's hourly or salary, but they can get quite creative, including including definitions like K-1 earnings for owners, uh, commissions, bonuses, overtime, shift differentials if you're insuring a hospital or a situation where people work overnight. Um, Some of the other provisions that we can look at is how are the premiums for the the benefit paid for? Uh, The reason why I say that is because depending on how the premiums are paid, whether it's pre or post tax, can have an impact on the taxability of benefits, which uh, impacts how much benefit the person takes home in the event of a claim. And more and more groups have expressed interest in uh, options like gross up, et cetera, um, that create a more tax favorable basis for benefits when they are, when there is a claim. So there are a lot of other features to a long-term disability contract that we can look into offline. And I am always available to help a broker look into some of those features so that they can write the right kind of contract for their clients. And Robin, earlier you mentioned California state disability and that uh, highly compensated individuals wouldn't have their income fully covered. Uh, How do employers address that need in California? That's great. So first and foremost, obviously, the first thing that we do look into is writing a group disability contract because 
typically a group contract will ensure more. Um, another way that you can look into it is you can write individual coverage. Um, we actually have a couple of group carriers who have what we call an individual disability buy-up. So they can actually rate individual lines of coverage uh, of disability coverage for the high income earners um, within an organization. So that maybe 75 to 80% of the employees are adequately covered under a group disability, but maybe the partners or attorneys or the owner has, you know, 500, 600 K worth of earnings that needs to be protected. Um, some of our group disability company carriers that we work with actually have IDI buy-ups uh, provisions where we can do a better job of, uh, of, adequately covering their income. Um, but we also have a lot of agents who write their own individual disability. And sometimes in those instances, they'll just pursue an individual contract um, to take care of the owners or high sellers if they need to. But it, but we do sometimes have solutions around that that can help as well. Uh, sounds like a very creative solution. Is there also an option to do a, 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 just a short-term disability plan that for people who aren't earning quite that high to... Um, help offset things? Absolutely. So the funny thing is, is so many uh, times I will hear someone say, oh, we don't need to sell short-term disability here in California because we've got state disability. Again, yes, we do. And that's fantastic. But state disability currently insures up to about $117,000. So for many working Californians, that would be adequate. But as we know, as agents in this business, we work with a lot of groups where people make 150, 200, whatever higher. And a lot of times they're living paychecks to paycheck, just like the lower income, you know, workers are. And so if they have a disability event and only, you know, hundred thousand dollars worth of their income is insured, they could experience a financial shortfall fall as well. And so that's where a lot of times we will sell additional short-term disability benefits, whether it's a non-integrated benefit that sits and pays on top of state disability or whether it's a standard integrated benefit that could pay up to $3,000 you know, per week that could help those high-income earners. So there are definitely times and places when a short-term disability policy is still worth pursuing, and high-income earners is definitely a good example of when we want to look into selling short-term disability in addition to long-term disability. How can Warner Pacific help agents write this coverage? There are a number of different ways that we can help. So first and foremost, I always want to remind brokers that I'm here to help. Um, I can help you pre-qualify a group. If you're not sure what might be the best way to go, give me a call or shoot me an email um, and let me know a little bit of information about the group. And I can help you kind of look at the situation with the group and kind of work out a plan that we think will be the best uh plan to pursue quoting short-term or long-term disability for them. That way you start off the quoting process on the right foot. Um, if they've already got coverage in place and you want me to take a look at their existing benefits, I can also take a look at contracts, existing certificates of coverage, or at least benefit summaries, and, and talk with you about whether we think the current benefits are doing the right job or whether there's some tweaks and adjustments that we want to make. Um, but once we know for sure that we want to quote it, there's actually a number of of ways in which we can help you. Um, we actually have a direct ancillary quoting team. Uh, they work outside of our pro quote rating engine and they will help us put together a request for proposal, an RFP, and they will help quarterback the entire quoting process for you. So between me and our ancillary quoting team, we can take that entire quoting process off of your lap, let you focus on other things, and we'll go ahead and send those quote requests out. 
We'll take a look at those quote requests when they come back. Um, for groups where maybe it's complex, larger groups where you need that additional help, we can even help with a spreadsheet and putting a spreadsheet together that would show you the disability plan side by side. Um, and then when it's all said and done, I can jump back on the phone with you. We can review those options and we can help you make the determination as to which carrier came back with the best quote. Uh, I'll even go one step further. I don't do this all the time, uh, but there are times when agents have asked me to be on the phone to co-present the benefits to their clients. And you can introduce me as a member of the Warner team if you want me to, but sometimes brokers aren't always comfortable doing that. So all you have to do is say, hi, this is Robin. She's my ancillary sales specialist, and she helps me with some of these ancillary benefits, including long-term disability. She's going to co-present the benefits with me today and be available to answer those questions for you. And I can just be a member of your team, but whether it's our quoting team or whether it's me answering questions or making recommendations, we have plenty of help that's available to help you when it comes to writing short short-term or long-term disability. What are the basic items we need for a quote? Great question. So first and foremost, obviously, we've always got to have the group's name. We need to have their address. If you know their SIC or you can at least point us uh, on their industry, we're going to need that. Um, If you have a preferred plan design, Uh, please let us know. Otherwise, we can help put a plan design together for you. Um, And we're definitely going to need a full census. And a full census doesn't just include dates of birth and gender and home zip codes. You guys are used to seeing that for quoting medical and dental. But we're also going to need job titles as well as salary information. Um, And salary information can be as simple as their hourly or base salary. It could be as complicated as additional columns showing K-1 earnings, uh, bonuses, commissions, what have you. But we need to make sure that we give full demographic information to the carriers, which is definitely minimally dates of birth, gender, home zip codes, job titles, and salary information. And then, of course, if this is a takeover situation where the group already has current benefits in place, then it's also helpful if we can have a copy of the current benefits, whether that's a benefit summary or the current certificate policy booklet, et cetera. And then if you have current or renewing rates, um, elections, current elections, if the coverage is voluntary, all of those sorts of things help us to put together the best RFP together and share that information with the carrier so that they can come in as close and competitive as possible. After we put the request for proposal together and send it out to the carriers for quote, what is the typical time frame to get all the proposals back and potentially prepare a spreadsheet comparison? Great question. So on the whole, um, while our carriers can accommodate rushes when need be, LTD is definitely one of those benefits where if you have a little bit of lead time, we and the carriers would appreciate it. Um, I will say generally, uh, it is usually going to take about three to five days to turn quotes around minimally in the small group space. Um, And that is simply because disability benefits are not a rate card driven benefit. This is a very much, even in the small group space, an underwritten benefit. They are absolutely going to be looking at the group's SIC. They're going to be looking at their size. They're going to be looking at gender, demographics, their age, their earnings types, the SIC in terms of industry and what is the risk of disability coming out of that industry. Um, so this will this proposal will be worked up by real people at the carrier side. And so giving us a couple of days to work with them and get that proposal back would be great. Um, if you're not needing a spreadsheet, 
typically we can send those proposals over to you um, as we get them. We'll share with you any carrier notes or recommendations as we go. Um, but definitely if we're looking to put a spreadsheet together, we like to, from the moment we get the last, uh, the last quote in, we typically like to see 12 to 24 hours so that we can have the time to put everything together and clean it up for you. Now, again, sometimes we don't have the luxury of time. So if we need to do a rush for quote, let us know as soon as possible. We will do our best to turn that around. And again, the same is true on the spreadsheeting. Uh, we will definitely uh, do what we can to turn a spreadsheet around uh, as quickly as possible. But usually we would like to have at least a week or so minimum so that we have time to work with the carrier and then time to take that information and put it into a spreadsheet for you. So I know the census is very similar to what we need to quote for medical with the addition of job titles and income. Are there any other unusual items that are needed for disability insurance that might not be top of mind for a broker? Does it matter if a group is a startup company, for example? That's a great question. So there are some considerations, and I appreciate you throwing that out. Um, while a lot of our carriers have provisions in place uh, in order to quote medical uh, dental or vision for new companies. Most of the group insurance carriers that we work with today do typically like to see a group be in existence for a minimum of 12 or 24 months before they want to quote them disability. Um, so we don't have as many options. We do have one or two, but we don't have as many options for startups. When it comes specifically to disability, you will find that a lot of our carriers are going to be looking for a group to be in existence for at least 12 or 24 months. We do have one or two solutions that we can look into when you do have a startup. So don't be afraid to send them our way. Just understand that we may not have as many options to look at. Um, one thing that we will sometimes need is to get a little bit of information about the group if they are a startup so that we can pitch a, a story, if you will, to the underwriter to make the case. So if the group has a grant or if they've got seed money or are backed by a venture capitalist company, sometimes carriers are willing to take a risk on a new group in a situation like that. Um, there are other things that they will look at, like, is this a split off? Maybe they've been in business for a while, but they've been in a business under the aegis of a, of a larger parent company, and now they're being spun off. Sometimes when it's a spinoff where they know it's not a true new business, carriers will sometimes make exceptions. So it is important to know that they do tend to prefer that a business be in existence for at least 12 to 24 months, but there are times and exceptions that can be made. So still bring those cases to us and we will do our best to, uh, to get coverage for you. Robin, thank you so much for providing such valuable insights on disability insurance. Again, for brokers who are interested in quoting, reach out to us. We would be delighted to help you with quotes and comparisons for your clients' long-term disability needs. 